So we're beginning a new series this morning called Christ, the Church, and Chaos. And my title for this morning's message is Your Yelling Isn't Helping. Your Yelling Isn't Helping. You know, forest fires are about the worst I've ever seen them in, in my life in California. And I've had some pretty bad experiences with fire in my own life. There was a time where, ashamedly, I almost started a forest fire. And uh, that's not a good thing. My, my friends and I were out on my, my dad's ranch, and the terrain is a lot like East County, and the, there's a lot of brush and shrubbery. And so the only way to get roads or trails is you'd use you know, one of those bobcats or bulldozers, and you go through the brush. And what happens is at the end of the trail, there's always a big pile of brush. And that, that brush becomes a rattlesnake habitat. And so there was this field that we liked to go and, and, and play in. And so I had brought some friends back from college, and we were out. We were going to play a big baseball game, have a picnic. But Dad had asked us first how you get rid of those brush piles so they don't just build up all over your property. Is it the right time, and I stress the right time, you burn them? And so we decided, okay, this will be pretty cool. We're going to burn one of these piles. And, of course, we tried to clear out the, long, the tall grass around it, and we put the, the fuel on the, the brush, and I, I light it, throw down the match. It's all going cool. I'm thinking, hey, my friends are thinking this is pretty cool. How often do you have a big fire that you get? And right then, boom, gust of wind hits it, and it was a dry time. And immediately, the field that we were in just caught on fire. And so what do you do when that happens? You start yelling at each other. I mean, we started screaming at each other, just going crazy. Oh, ah, you, no, you. And, and fortunately, one of my mentors were, was there, an, an older guy. And amazingly, he stayed calm, like one person was mature, stayed calm, say la, think about that. And he said, he didn't, even, he didn't even know, he didn't grow up on a ranch, but he looks and goes, what do we do? And that was enough to go, oh yes, we should do something. And I thought, wait, there's a hose, 10 feet. We should grab the hose, turn the water on. There was also a cattle trough, like a pretty big cattle trough. And I said, you, get a bucket. You, turn on the hose. You, stop yelling. Start stomping. And, and quickly, we all went to work. And now, you've got to understand the feeling you have when you think that you've started a forest fire. Because immediately, my mind jumped to the whole ranch is going to burn down. Then it's going to jump to the other ranch. And I was picturing tens of thousands of acres being destroyed by me. And so you can imagine how relieved I was within 15 minutes when with our little hose and our buckets and stomping out things that the fire went out. 2020 feels like a year that the world is on fire. And everyone seems to be yelling at each other. It's like we're inventing new ways to yell at each other. We've got a, a pandemic, but the problem is the pandemic isn't just a pandemic. The pandemic has divided people. We've got a global recession that happened. We've got incredible racial pain 
that's happened. And now, what a great year to have an election. <laughs> Not just any election. The most divisive election any of us have ever seen. And it's like we've created more and more ways to yell at each other. It, it used to just be the news. Uh, even, but I, th- I feel like the news, it's like it's not even news anymore. It's just yelling sessions. And th- have you noticed, um, like, we've created all these social media things. And, and at first, they were so sweet. You could, like, watch what your friend was doing on the weekend. But now it's just an opportunity to yell at people. And so Christians are yelling at people. Uh, and then we like every few months, it seems like a new social media thing has come out, and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be cool." No, it's an, another opportunity to yell at people. Even signs in people's yards. Have you noticed that they're like getting bigger and more? I was driving by, and there was this one yard, and it just had all these signs for Biden, and uh, right across the street, all these signs for Trump, and it was like the two yards were yelling at each other. Um, and, and here, here is the problem. What, what studies have shown, I was just looking at this uh, study by a Harvard uh, psychiatric professor. He was saying, when we start yelling at each other, it activates in the next person the limbic system of the brain, which is the fight or flight syndrome. And so it actually has the opposite effect of what we want, because when we yell, we're hoping someone will change, but instead it it sends the person into panic. And it actually has the opposite effect on the person that we're actually wanting. So let me just tell us this morning, once again, your yelling is not helping. And actually what I'm most concerned about, like I I get, I get it. You know, this is a very divisive time, and I understand, but, but what I'm most concerned about is it's a divisive time among Christians, and it's, it's challenging, right? Because let's just, going into this political season, many are saying, you know, how could you possibly endorse this person? Their values are completely against biblical values and, and against what we hold dear and what we believe is is holy. And on the complete other side, Christians who love God are saying, how could you endorse this person, their character, what they say, the attitude? It's not Christ-like. And so what you have is you have even Christians who sincerely love God, right? You, you know that, right? People on both sides that sincerely love God and, and, and that are yelling at each other. And so what I'm more concerned about than anything right now is Christians so hating on, so yelling at other Christians that we're actually dividing the church of Jesus. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And when we spend our time yelling at other Christians, what we do is we start hurting people. So here is the most concerning thing I have seen in this time is I've actually talked to some different Christians who said, so, so, so a couple of them were older with adult children, and, and their children came and said, if you vote for this person, you'll never talk to me again. Or if you vote for this person, you'll never see your grandkids again. 
And I'm just thinking, this is crazy. Like the same people who've read the prodigal son story where like people actually do hurtful things and sin. And what's the end of the story? There's love and there's reconciliation, but instead there's division. And so what I want to do today is look at the book of 2 Thessalonians because Thessalonians was written in a time so similar to what we're living. And I want to dive in and I want to get some help from the words of Paul at this time. So let me give you some background first for 2 Thessalonians. If you turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to start. Acts 17. And it's going to be the first time where we start seeing that city of Thessalonica. The Thessalonians were who Paul's written this book to. And let me just give you some background. Thessalonica, it was a city in Macedonia. That is a city in Europe. You remember that Paul he was in Israel, and then he starts going on these journeys, and then he has this calling to take the gospel into Europe. And so Thessalonica was originally a city called Therma. It had hot springs, which made it a tourist destination. It was in a crossroads where the Roman roads went through. They captured, the Romans captured the city in 158 BC, and so it became this military outpost, and it was also a harbor city, and so it was big for trade, and it was also a gateway between Asia and Europe, and so it was a a, a city that people would pass through. I mean, it's sounding exactly like San Diego, isn't it? Uh, The more I looked at Thessalonica, I thought, man, this is so San Diego, and it was Greeks, Romans, and Jews. It was a multi-ethnic city. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, this is going to speak straight to us because this is so similar to San Diego. And I want you to pick up in Acts 17 because you're going to see something interesting. It says this, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, now some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Hashtag 2020. You know, so many times we look at the Bible, we romanticize it, we think, oh, the old days, those were the good old days. Right? Aren't we tempted to think that? Oh, you know, back in the old days, those were the good old days. We want to go back to how things were. No, Back to how things were, were just like they are today. 2,000 years ago, the gospel's written in an antagonistic time. It was challenging. There was a mob. There was a riot. It was a hard time. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to tell you today, your yelling is not helping. So how do we respond in a divided time, in a challenging time, in a painful time? Let me give you five ways that I see from lessons from the Thessalonians that'll help us. Number one, share Jesus. Paul goes into this place, turned into a riot. It was antagonistic towards the gospel, but what did he do? He proclaimed Jesus. More than anything right now, people need to hear about Jesus. I always think about this in a political time. 
My dad was a very, very political person. I appreciated it. I appreciated his convictions. But I'd always say, Dad, you're an evangelist. You're just evangelizing for the wrong thing. Because the one thing that matters long term is Jesus. Make sure if you're going to talk about something. I mean, share. I, I'm, I'm not saying that talking about things in a political season are bad. There are values that are important that we want to talk about that matter to the heart of God. But nothing matters more than the eternal state of someone's soul. We could change someone's life on earth, but send them to a Christless eternity. Make sure you're talking about Jesus, and you'll never change someone's heart and life through legislation. It only happens through the power of the gospel. And so we got to proclaim Jesus. First, make sure you are proclaiming Jesus. Now, here is the sad part is it says some people responded. Do you know that everyone's not going to always respond to the gospel? But here's the good news on the other side. It says, they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Here is how the enemy works. The enemy works through growling, through roaring. The Bible says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. His main tactic is fear. His main tactic is anxiety. So if you just watch the news, if you watch the news more than you read this book, this is what you think. The whole world is on fire right now. Our cities are completely on fire. I talked to a buddy who in the, in the midst of all this went to, to, to Portland. And man, if you hear Portland right now, you just think, man, it is the devil's doorstep. Like, all of Portland's on fire. I asked him how much of Portland was experiencing rioting. He said, two blocks. Now, he said that was bad, but it was two blocks. Here's the, the news for you to understand. Here in Scripture, and this is the case, they rounded up some bad characters, formed a mob, and started a riot. Do you know that the whole, all of America is not bad characters right now? It is some, but the enemy wants us to live freaked out and in fear and to be paralyzed. But God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. The enemy wants us to get fearful, so we stop loving. And then we don't have a sound mind. And when we don't have a sound mind, we just yell at each other instead of looking and going, there's a fire, what should we do? Let's keep going. Hopefully someone's going to get help this today. Says this, so they rushed in Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, we're still in Acts 17, in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into the house. They are defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. What do I learn there? There will be persecution for the people of God. There will be persecution for the people of God. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, the reason was is because Paul was doing something unlawful. The Apostle Paul. Oh, whoa, now, Pastor, you're telling us to break the law. Uh, that, no, that's, that's actually not what I'm, I'm saying, because actually you need to understand that Paul was the one who said this in Romans 13. In the time of a really, really bad leader, 
He says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Wait, what? He's saying this in the time of a bad Caesar, like a bad leader. And he says they've been established by God. Let me just tell you, God's way is not our way. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason." They are God's servant, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Okay, Paul basically is saying, guys, we need to obey our rulers. We need to obey our leaders. That's why we have a thing called the speed limit. That's why we haven't built the, the church building yet. It's frustrating for me, but we actually get permits to build it. That's why we obey these laws. But the same Paul who said, we're going to do our best to obey authorities, here in Thessalonica is not obeying authorities because the, the law said you can only say Caesar is Lord. And there's a higher law, which is the law of God, which says Jesus is Lord. And so when you could only say Caesar's Lord, you could only worship Caesar, Paul says, well, there is a place where then we actually honor God's law. Can I tell you, there might come a day where, where we have to say, you can't tell us we can't say Jesus is Lord. You can't tell us we can't read the Bible. You, can't, you know that there might be a day men and women, that they say you can't be a church anymore. Like, that's happened around the world. Iran, that's happened. North Korea, that's happened. Do, but do you know what? Can I just make a little, uh, make a little deal with you? We're never going to stop being all people's church. Um, so we're going to live in this balance. We're going to live in this balance of trying to honor authorities and trying to obey the law. Why? Because Paul told us to, because the scripture tells us to. And on the same note, there might be a time where we just say, I'm so sorry. I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't stop that because it's what the Bible tells me to do. Let's keep going. Second Thessalonians is where I want to pick up. I want to look at what Paul said in his second letter to the Thessalonian church, because I think it's so pertinent for us today, living in a, in a polarized time, living in a time of trial, living in a time of persecution. It says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, we ought always 
to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for all one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. They were going through a time like us, the government, and it didn't seem like it was always supportive of Christians. They were going through all kinds of trials. Man, this has been a year of trials. This has been a year where it seems like persecution is growing, but here's something that Paul said. Like, your yelling is not helping, but what will help? Number two. Number two, thank God. He says this. Here's, here's something we ought to do. We ought to thank God. And, and what do we thank God for? We thank God for you. We thank God for the brothers and the sisters. Here's one great thing about losing a lot of things is it makes you thankful for what you have. And, and so one thing that has been awesome about 2020 is we've lost a lot of comforts. We've lost a lot of freedoms. We've lost a lot of hobbies and opportunities. But I've seen a lot of people get more thankful for their relationships. Uh, man, the church in America, it, it, it kind of grown into like a Six flags over Jesus, you know? It, it kind of grew into a, 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 a coffee bar and a laser light show. And that's hard to do in a tent. But you know what? I think we're celebrating more and more is people, is brothers and sisters, is relationship. That's what the church is, is its relationships. And I want to encourage you. Uh, here's, here's, speaking of scientific studies, uh, do, do you know that scientific studies have shown that a thankful person, there are these crazy benefits. Uh, you are, here's a, here's a 2010 study by a guy named Wood. It says this, that those who are thankful have a, a lower risk of a diagnosis of major depression, general anxiety disorder, phobia, nicotine dependence, alcohol dependence, drug abuse, and the risk of bulimia nervosa. Uh, you can't control what's happening in 2020, but you can control if you're thankful. You decide thankfulness, and it is going to be better for your health, and not just for your health. That same study goes on to say that thankfulness, according to the same study, strengthens relationships. So it contributes to relational connection, relational satisfaction, and even promotes conflict resolution and reciprocal helpful behavior. Bottom line is this. You want a better marriage? Then be thankful for your spouse. You want a better relationship with your kids, then choose to be thankful for your kids. You want better friendships? Then be thankful for the friends you have. Be thankful for the attributes they have. We ought to give thanks to God. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It says this, Therefore, among the churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. I love that it says this, and the love you have for one another is increasing. There's a lot of things that have been decreasing in 2020, but let me ask you this. If someone looked at your life, would they say your love has increased? Would they say your faith has increased? You know, there, there can be things that are increasing in the midst of a pain and, persevere, and persecution and trials, and we need to ask ourselves, 
but are we seeing an increase in other things as we're losing other things? Because I really believe that a lot of 2020 for the church was a pruning. But the reason we prune back some branches is so that the fruit can increase. Let me ask you, is the fruit of the Spirit increasing in your life? I want it to be in mine. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And two, two words I notice in there that are not popular, judgment and suffering. Man, let's do a series on judgment. Let's, let's talk more about suffering. Do, do, you, do you know that everywhere the kingdom of God is advancing, there's always suffering? You, you look, a, a guy named John the Baptist shows up. Man, it had been a 400-year silent time in Israel. It had been a drought of the word of God, of the presence of God. And this guy named John the Baptist shows up, and a revival happens, and everyone's going out to the desert. And what happens? He gets persecuted. He gets thrown in jail. He loses his life. Then Jesus shows up, and we're like, "Woo! the kingdom is coming. People are getting healed. People are getting saved. People are getting delivered. People's lives, the poor are getting uplifted. People are given dignity. And what happens? He is suffering and getting persecuted and goes to the cross and die. The, the disciples, man, then they come on the scene in, in the book of Acts and they're planting churches and advancing the kingdom and transforming the world. And what do you see in Paul's life? Constant suffering. He's like, I'm shipwrecked. I'm going hungry. The people are coming against me. Uh, and you go throughout church history. I mean, this is what you see in, in, in Ireland. Very dark times. St. Patrick comes on the scene. And, and man, the island, the whole island of Ireland is coming in revival. It's changing. But the persecution that came against him, same Martin Luther, 1500s. Man, he is bringing a transformation, a reformation in, in Europe. But man, the, the, the challenge that came against him. How about Martin Luther King Jr. in our country bringing the hope and, and, and the transformation of the gospel and the uplifting of people. But boy, did that guy suffer. Do you know that everywhere the kingdom of God is advancing, someone is suffering? And, and, and sometimes we need to ask our life, man, it, it, if there's no suffering, I wonder if the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing in our life. And, and so it brings me to this phrase. It says, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. I was a junior high football coach last year. Very proud of that. And do you know that in junior high, here's what I love about junior high, is every boy that comes out, they get to be on the team. That's just, that's just great. Uh, they, they all get to come out. They all get to, to stay on the team. But do you know that only some of them get counted worthy to actually be on the A team and start? And, and who is that? That's the ones that actually come to practice every week because you know that a lot of kids didn't want, didn't want to come to practice. And uh, some of them, man, they, they didn't want to run their routes. Coach, I don't want to run. I don't want to do push-ups. You, you know who got to play is the ones who worked hard. I'm coming. Oh. Uh, ah. Uh, the kingdom is like a junior high football team. Everyone who comes out, they get taken on the team. Like salvation is free. But do you know that all Christians aren't living a life worthy 
of the kingdom of God. You want to live a life worthy of the kingdom of God. You can't control all the circumstances, all the challenges of 2020, but you can control if you're living a life worthy of the kingdom of God. And it's actually not like, am I the shiniest? Am I the most perfect? Do I have all these gifts? It's really, do you just continue to show up? Do you continue to say, I'm going to work hard? I'm going to stay in the game. Number three is be counted worthy. Be counted worthy. Then it says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. One of the reasons I think we start yelling at people so much as Christians is we actually don't believe that God's going to pay back evil. We don't think God's going to judge. So we have to start yelling at other people because we think we have to be the judge. Now, I'm not saying that people aren't wrong. I'm not saying that evil's not happening. It is. But what I'm saying is the Bible says judgment is mine, says the Lord. And what I'm saying is the Bible says this. Your anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. So we, we get so angry and we get so ticked and we're like, I am going to do something about it. I hate you in, on Instagram. <laughs> And it's because we don't believe that God will bring judgment. Man, you walk as a believer, walking strongly with the Lord long enough, and you will start seeing the people who oppose faith, who oppose Christianity, eventually God pays them back. I have seen it time and time again. Now, it usually doesn't happen as fast as I want it to. But, but God is the righteous judge. And even if you don't see it in this life, there is coming a day where, where the Bible says this, that Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. There is coming a day where Jesus will return. And the Bible says that at that day, every knee will bow. The unrighteous leaders who think they're in charge, no, they will be on their knees shaking and trembling. Because he will come again. And that is the day we look forward to. And so no matter how the election goes for you, you can be sure that that's not the end. It's not the end. Now, now, let me say this. It can be the end for America as we know it. I'm not minimizing that. But what I am saying is this, that every nation, every earthly kingdom comes to an end at some point. But you do not belong to a nation. And, and, and Gosh, I love America. Like when Lee Greenwood sings, I'm proud to be an American, I cry. Proud to be an American. I sang that song in high school. I'm not saying it's, what I'm saying though is there is hope for you because you belong to a greater kingdom. And one day your king will return and he will make things right and he will judge the wicked. He will punish those, it says, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. What does this mean? It means make sure that you have 
obeyed, you've received the gospel, that you've said, Jesus, you're my only way, Jesus, you're king, I receive your gift of your payment for my sins on the cross and your resurrection from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and only by your grace can I enter in, and I want to be there, and I want all my friends to be there with you, because I don't want to spend eternity in hell, and so make sure you've received that gift. It says on that day, 2 Thessalonians 1.10 on that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Oh, you're going to marvel at Jesus. We get so disappointed by worldly leaders, it's because we're putting too much hope in them. But you're going to marvel at Jesus when he comes. For those who believe, this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. This is number four. We constantly pray for you. Your yelling is not helping, but your constant prayer, that is what transforms the world. History belongs to the intercessor. I love what Hudson Taylor said. He goes, I move men through God, by prayer alone. You're not going to move them by arguing. You scream, they tune it out. You pray, you transform. You're yelling, they tune out. Your prayer, they can't resist. Prayer transforms the heart. So it says we constantly pray for you. I have seen our church increase, and I've seen our church advance in this time, but it's always come through going alone, getting with the Lord, and receiving his word, and then praying it in. It's amazing in this time, the things that have been increasing, but it's, it's happening through prayer. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself, too, because I want to complain. I can't believe that person said, I can't believe this new rule that we have to, I can't believe I have to do, I can't, I, I don't like that person. Instead, I need to be praying. It does not help to just complain. I, I think if Christians did half as much praying as complaining, we would be transforming this nation. Don't worry, I'm preaching to myself. that he might bring, let me finish with this point number five, that he might bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. How the enemy is working in Christians' lives right now is he's making us so frustrated, so angry, and so fearful that that's all we're meditating on. And when that's all, with, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the overflow of the heart, we act. And so if all that is in us is anger, fear, hatred, then that's all that's going to come out. So I am very concerned about what the world is getting from Christians right now. But Paul talks about that he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. I don't want to come to fruition every desire that's in Christians right now because it's like anger and hatred and anxiety. And if that's what's coming to fruition, that is bad for the world. But if you can focus on the desires for goodness, you know what's going to happen? Things like our food distribution 
that just fed all these, these different families. And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. All these families that came that aren't a part of our church, they all went from that, and they voluntarily went to the prayer table. It's like the weirdest thing. But why? Because when we have an, an atmosphere of blessing and giving, it transforms the heart. Uh, your desire for goodness. It's crazy to me, if you've been a part of our prayer nights, that our prayer nights are increasing during COVID. Uh, it, it's so amazing that our college group has been increasing, that our young adults have launched a service. I, I am hearing, let the desires for goodness take over because it doesn't. Your yelling is not helping. But when a mature person when a mature person sees the fire and instead of freaking out, stays calm. Are you hearing me? And then says, what should we do? It activates a whole group of people to actually do something to put out the fire. Don't ever underestimate your little act of obedience to respond to that desire. So what, what is your desire in 2020, end of 2021? Let's stop looking at what's freaking us out, what's making us anxious. Let's stop yelling and let's say, God, what's the little thing I can do? Because if the 330,000 churches in America full of way more than that believers start getting inspired to just do something, I tell you what, that's 330,000 people stepping up with a little hose and a little bucket of water, and coming to stomp out fires instead of lighting them up. And guess what? Then our world starts to change. I tell you what, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world because it is the body of Christ. Let's stand up.